Off the Bench is a podcast created by ASCLS that will discuss the scientific and not so scientific ideas in laboratory medicine. We are joined by members of ASCLS, fellow scientists, educators, and researchers, along with those interested in the profession. We share ideas and talk nerdy. And welcome back to the Off the Bench podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sophia Chandrasekhar. Today, I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Justin Hannenberg. Hi. And Galena Dronova. Yay! Our guest speaker today is Cliff Simrock. Can you hear me? Hey. Yeah, we can hear you. Now, before we get started with our episode on COVID laboratory conspiracies, let me give you an update on the state of the Off the Bench podcast, specifically where we went, where we are, and the direction of where we're going to move towards. Over the past year, the ASCLS Leadership Academy Class of 2020 took on the idea of creating PACE-approved podcast episodes with the okay from our OG podcast hosts, Sam and Lindsay, both of whom have stepped down to work on other projects. So what does this mean? This means that future episodes of the Off the Bench podcast will be available for CE credit. What? We've got a healthy backlog of podcast episodes featuring amazing speakers going over things like the state of the laboratory, on Capitol Hill in DC, uh, acute myeloid leukemia, zoonotic diseases around the world, and much more. Future Leadership Academy classes will also be producing what we're calling CE episodes to be able to provide to you, our listeners, fresh info and content that's also available for CE. We will also be producing several non-CE episodes that we are calling recalibration episodes. These episodes will be a conversation about the not-so-scientific part of laboratory medicine, like COVID lab conspiracies, bad lab practices on television shows, and even sci-fi labs and what makes them work. We're also planning to release a new episode of the Off the Bench podcast on the last Friday of every month, so be sure to keep a lookout for that. I hope you guys enjoy what we have in store, as we are very excited for the future of this podcast and providing you, our fellow laboratorians and laboratory-interested people, exciting and engaging content. Now, let me pass it over to Galena to help us break down these COVID conspiracies that somehow involve the laboratory. Galena? Excellent. Thanks, Sophia. All right. Can you guys see my screen? Yes. Yes. Excellent. So um, as Sophia said, uh, our podcast today is about COVID conspiracies and where the idea started is on a very non-eventful car ride from Utah to Minnesota. And I was just scrolling my way through Instagram, minding my own business. Um, and on a vegan hashtag that I follow randomly, I saw this piece of work. And it is a meme that said, so a piece of fruit tested positive for COVID-19 and you still actually believe that the test is legitimate. Okay. So aside from the fact that why is this even on a vegan hashtag, um, then I decided to look into uh, what this user was. And it is actually like a health and wellness company that sells products, promotes healthy lifestyles, and they have a massive following. And then come the comments, hundreds and hundreds of comments, which you'll get to see some of today. Um, Yeah, I definitely went off the deep end uh, reading all of this. Can't wait to share them. (laughs) Um, But I also did some research too. So once again, so a piece of fruit tested positive for COVID-19 and you still actually believe that the test is legitimate. What is that all about? Um, I was um, uh, trying to figure that out and I will um, tell you and share with you, this actually came from the Tanzanian president. Um, So the president of Tanzania, um, uh, Magufuli, he was actually questioning the credibility of their national laboratory because they alleged that they were mishandling samples. So according to The Guardian, what he did um, was secretly sent in laboratory samples from a sheep, a goat, and what you saw on the meme is actually a pawpaw fruit. So he doctored these specimens put them into human names, gave them human names, sent them to their national laboratory and had them tested. And according to the president, these results came back positive. Okay. And then very quickly right afterwards, he ended up firing the laboratory director for their national laboratory, um, basically um, said that it was a dirty game being played by the laboratory. He suggested that the equipment and the people are compromised, hinted at sabotage in the speech broadcast to his state-run channel. So, I mean, this is insane. Um, 
that this is where it originated. And now instead it's just being circulated that a plant came back positive for COVID-19 ergo our tests are wrong. So this is where kind of the crazy story starts. I just have to interject. I think I've seen something (laughs) like that where I've heard nurses are like, Oh, I put in a fake sample or I sent an empty sample and it came back positive. It just, it just, just has like the same, same vibes. I have a couple questions here. The first being, it says that the fruit tested positive. Tested positive for what? We have two different kinds of tests that we use for COVID-19. One is a nucleic acid test that looks for genetic material, and that could come positive if you swipe a surface that somebody has come into contact with and it was on their hands. It's just testing for the presence of genetic material from the virus. So yes, a fruit could come positive in that aspect. The other test, if it was a serology test and looking for antibodies, then this would be very questionable about a fruit producing antibodies against COVID-19. So still though, when this was first shown to me and I'm looking, I'm like, this has to come from some just kind of way out there, strange correlation from something. But to I, the idea that this came out of tens, what country was it? Tanzania. The idea that this came out of Tanzania and something so official is alarming. Yes. Well, and uh, not to get, unfortunately, this issue kind of gets a little bit political. So trying not to be, there's a lot of cloud surrounding, um, you know, the politics, like there's uh, reasoning behind um, why he could have made that statement. Um, uh, Not going to get into that. But even on top of that, you have to think about Uh, even if he did this, testing efficacy of an instrument, right? You can't just like an instrument is made to run a proper sample. You can't just grind up a jackfruit, put it in some plasma and send it in. You know, um, it's, if, if this was actually done, if it was done, the president then used a very unscientific approach to test the staff of the laboratory to test the machinery of the laboratory. And then instead, and I mean, it was so quick that they just fired the lab director and and nothing besides the president's statement has come out and said, unfortunately, that this was done and this was a result. You bring a great point that the lack of understanding of how laboratory practices happen, how things go through a validation, or the certain proper limits and procedures as far as sample type, You know, we as laboratorians understand that a good 90% of error happens even before the sample gets onto the instrument. It's pre-analytical, which is very much the case here. It was manufactured to be so. Yet because of that, the perception of things and the lack of understanding of laboratory practice has led to this huge scapegoat game against the national laboratory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Out of that beautiful meme comes the comments. Now, this next one I'm going to show you guys. I'm going to, I divide it into three fields because there's a lot to unpack here and I kind of wanted to take it um, one one claim at a time. I've erased a lot of uh, the, the user's information. Um, the comment saying, there is no proof that the virus exists because it has never been isolated. They test the use for COVID-19, the PCR test, tests for genetic material, and not for the infectious diseases. The majority of people will test positive for the genetic material in the test. So, like, we're going to just stop right there and look at that piece. <laughs> um, any, any commentary about uh, control of replication cycles and testing for genetic material and not the infectious disease? What does that even mean? <laughs> I'm having a hard time understanding that there's a difference. <laughs> yeah, so so first of all, yeah, yeah, I don't even know. PCR, we're we're doctoring uh they're using the COVID-19 test for genetic material not for infectious diseases. You know, I can understand maybe if this was an argument against cross-reactivity on something that SARS coronavirus would cross into um, cross react with novel coronavirus 2019, but that's really not what's being suggested here. It's the idea that I- I'm actually not even sure. <laughs> 
I think I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. So they're saying, but genetic test for genetic material, but not for infectious diseases. Like what? And every, how? Like <laughs> how? How does one test for infectious disease if not for testing the genetic material? I mean, Cliff, you're just shaking your head there. <laughs> I I just have to know. You just you just keep shaking your head for for our listeners. Um, my face was just a huge frown. Cliff is just shaking his head nonstop for the past like 30 seconds. As an educator, Cliff, what would you say to the idea that a PCR test does not actually test for infectious disease? I would say that they, they are, they're half right. The PCR test tests for genetic, disease, genetic material. That's absolutely true, which would indicate infectious disease. So I don't know how they're separating this in their mind. It is, it is a fabulous post, I must say. That is, that is one for the ages. <laughs> Cliff, it gets better. It gets better. It's going to be good. So, and even the last piece of this, the majority of people will test positive for the genetic material in the test. So the implication to me here is that everyone is walking around with COVID, right? I'm, I mean, I'm wondering if they're thinking that, you know, okay, if they're like, okay, so from basic understanding of PCR, they know it's looking for some segment of code. They're like, well, that code can be found in anybody, which, yeah, that's true. I mean, what, like we share a lot of, I forget the exact statistic, some huge amount of code with bananas. We're not a banana. I mean, you know, we share a code, we're not bananas. But I, I can't help but wonder if that, if they're conflating that tiny little bit to everything. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, so they have they have a stop code on. Everyone has a stop code on, but they have a stop code on. Viruses <laughs> have stop code on, so therefore everyone has a virus. I'm wondering if it's if it's that gigantic mm. of a leap. Understood, which is something that we do. I mean, as a control, we'll often use a known sequence, usually that we could reasonably suggest is going to be positive in the patient to make sure that the test is working properly as an internal control. Uh, I don't think that's what they're suggesting here, but something similar along those lines. I'm having a little bit of trouble here with the word exosomes. Are we speaking exome? Oh, and, and well, and then e n v e n e n a t e d. What is that? We haven't. Okay, so we haven't even gotten. We haven't even gotten to that part, you guys. Okay, oh, so um, so far what, what we've covered, um, we've covered that the test, the PCR test, does not test for the actual infectious disease, which it does. Um, the majority of people will test positive for the genetic material in the test. Now, here's the explanation why. This is part two. The genetic material they use for testing is exosomes. Exosomes are a substance that the cells produce in response, in response to envenenated, envenenated cells. I tried Googling it, you guys. I tried. Um, from, from this post, what I can deduce is he's implying cells may be undergoing stress because he goes on to say cells can be envenenated by radiation, stress, and fear, diseases, infections, etc. So everybody that has envenenated cells will produce exosomes and therefore will test positive for COVID-19. That's why the big majority of people that test positive don't actually have any virus symptoms. You guys, this is a rabbit hole. Um, I had to dig, dig into this one for sure as well because, and I'm going to show you, screen share this for you. What they're saying is on the left-hand side, I'm showing an image of what the coronavirus um, virus looks like under uh, electron, electron microscopy. And then the right-hand side, I'm showing an exosome, which is an extracellular vesicle, okay? Now, people are claiming that instead of coronavirus, what we think we're isolating is the coronavirus. We're actually isolating exosomes, which are... Um, something that our cells are producing, you know, all the time. And so what this post is implying is instead of testing for the virus, we're actually testing the genetic material of our own exosomes, which are produced when our cells are under stress from radiation, stress, fear, disease, infection. And that's why most people test positive. Yeah. I'm still trying to Google... Invented. I was about to ask if we could 
step back in to find that word. It's new to me. I can't I find it. I've been. Yeah, I don't think you're gonna find the it. The closest thing I found is envenomation, which is um, the exposure to a poison or toxin resulting from a bite or sting, oh. which can cause issues with your cells through poison. But that's yeah, similar but different. Yeah, talking about viruses, not poisons. <laughs> yes. B E N E and. I can't spell already. This just is making it worse. <laughs> so while you look up envenenated, I looked up exosomes. Exosomes being a membrane-bound extracellular vesicle that is produced in the endosomal compartment of most eukaryotic cells. Um, so once again, I don't even know where this conspiracy theory came from, but essentially it's... What they're saying is we're actually isolating endosomal material or exosomal material, rather, instead of COVID. And so my question to you, maybe even um, Cliff, you can explain, like, comes back to PCR. How can we prove as lab scientists that we're actually isolating COVID, RNA slash DNA, um, versus exosomal products? So this goes back to what Justin was mentioning before, where he said we we always run quality control with all our tests because that's how we determine reliability and accuracy. And with the quality control, we, we already have positive material that's specific for COVID-19 and then negative material, which is anything but the COVID-19 um, nucleic acids. And so in this case, we, we, we already account for <clears throat> anything other than um, COVID-19 genetic material. So I, I don't really understand where this person, they, it almost seems like they understood what PCR was in the first quarter of their post and then completely <laughs> lost it by, by, the, by the midway. Well, and clearly they don't know really what PCR is about because you need to understand primers and how we choose primers that are specific for genetic material of a sequence that we are looking for. So they picked primers that are present in coronaviruses and not in our own eukaryotic cells. Maybe they think that we, we haven't sequenced the virus that's possible, <laughs> even though we've done it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times now. Yeah, exactly. I have news uh, in my Google search of Meninated. I have found oh, four heads okay. according to Google. Ooh. One is on Twitter. I don't understand it. One Reliable is, source. Um, one is something <laughs> about um, someone's pet that was envenenated by their neighbor neighbor that lived behind me. He throwed her butt. I don't know. I think she, he meant through. Um, something about some co-op message forums about... Head crab mega monster massacre. I don't know. <laughs> and then also some blog post from 2009 called "The Green Bubble Has Burst." What's up with that? I haven't found anything else. So basically, it's not a word. I think is what we're trying to say. It's not. Google keeps telling me, "Are you are you searching for envenomated?" Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. it's like, are you looking for poison? Not according I'm to Webster. Poison? It's not a word. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for thanks for that, Justin. <laughs> well, the story, this PCR story, continues with this gentleman. Um, actually, I don't know who it is anymore. But they, the last part is apparently there is a they, the deep state, whoever, also scientists. They control the number of positives by the way that it's tested, i.e. the number of cycles of amplification in the test. So um, there's actually three reasons they list for how the number of positives. Essentially, they're saying we're falsely producing positive results. One of the best ways that we do that is by uh, changing the cycles of amplification for this test, which hurt my brain. Um, I'm just thinking of the poor lab tech working an overnight shift with hundreds of specimens. That's really going to take the time in addition to worrying about cross-contamination, reagents running out, is everything kept on ice, 
also on top of all of that, being concerned with messing with the cycles and reprogramming the test to fit their needs. So as someone who does a lot of validation studies, the idea of modifying a test outside of the original package insert and how that test was validated with the FDA moves it into a laboratory developed test. And I think any laboratory scientist, most most of us fall into a personality type that we don't touch the things on the screen we don't know about because we don't want the responsibility of modifying that test. That's a lot of, that's a lot it's playing with fire. Yeah, think about that inspection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Heaven forbid, like, if I have to change, if I have to open a range to do AMR, I'm taking a screenshot before I change the ranges and like triple checking and having someone come up behind me saying, did I really put in 0.01? Are you absolutely sure that this says 0.01? Like, make sure. That's, I've also just now realized this is all one long post. I thought this was multiple different people's posts. Oh, I just realized oh. this one person. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> this this person um, made a lot more than this one post. So it's been it's been a wild, wild ride. But um, even on top of that, once again, I'm thinking I can speak for you know my facility. COVID hit. Um, there are is maybe two one or two labs with one or two instruments that are validated to run COVID samples. That means that there's one, max, two poor techs that are siphoning every darn sample from our entire healthcare system to this one tech, two techs. Okay, that means that this poor person on top of their workload, on top of any other test, right? I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know if they just put one person to do COVID testing and that's it, or are they running other tests? I'm not certain, but I wouldn't want to be sitting there trying to also mess. And who is the they? And how does this tech, how, how does he know what to change? He or she know what to change the cycles to, you know, I'm the deep state tells you how to. (laughs) When we're going through conspiracies, I do want to take some time. Like I always pay attention and notice they, they come up. It's elusive organization of non-binary elite, like mage like people that just control everything. Um, who are they? And okay, and how do you pass this information on? Is it like an evening pass-off huddle that your supervisor comes through and tells the entire lab, just so you know, they contacted us and they said that for this batch, you got to make sure you change the cycles to like 50. And, and also from, I haven't done PCR in a while, but, um, I understand that you can make it quantitative, but for the most part, I believe that COVID testing, um, they do it qualitative. So it's either you have it or you don't. And it comes out as positive or negative, even if it's a PC at real-time PCR test. And I'm just wondering, um, changing the number of cycles, if that's even going to change a result, really, because it shouldn't to me. I think to your point, it would depend, I guess, on a threshold. You know, what's the threshold right. where we're calling positive or negative? Now, in that sense, yes, we do control the numbers of negatives or positive because we're looking for the best diagnostic accuracy of that test. So we want to have a well-established cutoff for when we call something positive versus negative. So in that sense, yes. But it's I, the intention is different from what the person commenting is here, where what we want to do is ensure accuracy, not be, oh, well, we want more positives because it'll get us better reimbursement for a hospital. So send it to 50. I don't know. Just that sounds good. <laughs> and the threshold too, once again, has been defined not only by the FDA, but I mean, I looked at uh, protocols, they're listed. You know, FDA has a beautiful document out that for these are all the approved kits. These are all the thresholds. These are all your cycles. I mean, it's so that procedure, I mean, you, you can't, there's no room for questioning what you should be doing. Um, and, I, and I think that's another uh, good point that, that everyone's brought up that with conspiracy theories, it's not facts, right? That's going to change or convince someone's mind because in this case, a lot of conspiracy theories, they, it's, it's very vague and they're unprovable or disprovable. Because in this case, the this 
this poster is stating that the deep state has tapped every lab tech in the country, right? That, that runs COVID <laughs> testing. And you, the only way to disprove that would be to somehow prove they weren't uh, contacted by the deep state. Well, we were. It's from the microchips they planted in our brain with the nasopharyngeal swaps. Um, and they control us. They, they let us all know through 5G. Yeah. You weren't supposed to say that. Now you let out the big secret. I'm sorry. Monkey's out of the box now. They don't know how we got it. Oh, they're going to come after us. We're going to get off this pod and the deep state's going to come. And... The last you'll hear of me. Bye, everyone. Yeah, this pod will never make it. We're going to be in the same place as the laboratory director for the National Lab of Tanzania. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> um, all right. Are we ready for our next poster? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure anymore. I'm ready. Okay, so this one, the... Um, I'm really excited that I need. I needed you to see the spelling of this. Um, oh, as well. This, this is like this on is the level great. of like mm-hmm. if you guys know internet memes out there. This on the level of pregnant. Yes, misspellings. So yes, and and I wish that I could um, verbalize a lot of these misspellings. Uh, I will do my best. Did they eat healthy? Did they exercise regularly? Did they had comorbid Comor- oh, comorbidities spelled with a Y. All those things matter. I have never seen one patient who ate healthy and had a COVID. Plus, how can someone have a diseases but have no symptoms and feel and feel fresh? It's stupid. Plus, can you show me a study where they purified the virus to a clear particle? Question mark. We can go on for anecdotes, for that matter, if you can find any study for any virus, such as HIV, Hep, BNC, Ebola, Corona, where they purified the virus to its clear substance and put in some healthy subject, and that subject made the same symptoms and got sick and can say, you, yes, COVID is real. That was painful. <laughs> it's I mean, it's painful for so many reasons, not only the spelling, but. What is oh this clear gosh. substance? Are, are they, what? Are my, you talking about like the strawberry DNA thing you do in high school where you like, you know, you, you like, you know, mash up strawberries. So you see like the little DNA. Stri- is that what they're talking about? My guess is that they're similar to our friend from the other explanation of PCR is they're looking for that isolated material. So when they talk about clear substance, my, I don't think they're speaking of like that it's transparent rather than the, the purified viral material, perhaps, is what they're speaking of. A quick, a quick search on NCBI um, reveals all the many ways that we have now shown that this virus exists, including... Even this, just look at this. I wanted you guys to appreciate this beautiful transmission electron micrograph of the coronavirus. Very nice. There it is. It it could be exosomes. It could be exosomes, though. I don't know. Histology is not my thing. Can't tell. But it looks (laughs) (laughs) I just see pretty blue circles. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever heard of Koch's postulates. Um... Yes. Coke is like the father of microbiology. And he came up with a series of steps to determine whether uh, an infection really exists. So you take an infected material from one animal or human and put it in another one that's healthy, that doesn't have the sudden symptoms. And if they can track the same infection, you've just proven it. And we've done that with every single infection that I can think of. Where in this poster says any virus, so they don't think any virus, let alone COVID, um, that, that we've done that to. So that's that's fascinating. Hmm. And uh, like with that, they also they bring up one of some of the most known viruses we have: HIV, Hep B, Hep C, Ebola. I, I just, I can't. <laughs> I know. 
I know. Well, and even um, so, um, I kind of went went off the um, deep end researching this and coaches coaches coax coax postulates, mm-hmm. and you know when he came up with his postulates, he really meant it for bacteria, and since then, I mean that was over a hundred years ago. Since then, we've modified that, um, you know, ec- uh, not explanation, but the postulates to also fit viruses, which do have to be modified because um, they've even proven with some viruses that um, it may not cause disease once you've taken out of the body. Uh, gosh, I want to say, um, never mind. I don't want to say the wrong virus, but there's a virus that when they've taken it out in vitro um, and they try to culture it and then reintroduce it, then it's no, uh, they, the virus doesn't cause the disease anymore. So uh, all I'm saying is these postulates have to be modified or have been modified since then. So you can't just cut and dry, say that the only way to prove that this virus is real is by take it out of a, another one body, culture it, introduce it to another body and assumes that it works. Did they do it? They did it with SARS. So that's the most recent coronavirus that we've had where they, it all coach Koch's postulates were met. And the reason we haven't done it for COVID yet is because it's not even been a year. When I'm reading this, um, I can move past the spelling errors or the note in the sheer number of them. Uh, it's something that I've been working on as far as when gauging someone's when gauging someone's questions or their opinion, that not looking at language or that because they have the exact same vocabulary as me or not as a limiting factor to someone's mm-hmm. intelligence. So I want to give some credit to the person there that they did actually come up with the idea. We've had this whole conversation about Koch's pot, um, Koch's postulates. We've had this whole conversation about Koch's postulates in which this person was clearly thinking in that direction. But I think it's the the knowledge of it begins and ends there. For me, what I'm looking, I pulled up a picture for myself. I love this graph of logical fallacies. It has Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle on it, and thou shalt not commit logical fallacies. And I picked out at least three from this comment here, including the burden of proof that because I haven't seen any of these studies, therefore they don't exist or they've never been done. Um, There's a composition division that, you know, because I haven't seen it or the people that I know didn't eat healthy, therefore it only applies to that group of people. Um, And these sorts of things keep coming up as far as just gaps in the logic, even though they, their questions were in the right direction. Well, and then I see the other part of um, how can someone have a disease but not have symptoms and feel fresh? This is my favorite part. (laughs) So essentially the question is asking um, how are patients testing positive for the test yet exhibiting um, no symptoms? These would be our asymptomatic carriers. Yeah. And in fact, I believe that that happens not only for COVID-19, but for other illnesses as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't remember what they are. or I don't, you know, uh, most. I'm sure you have a lot. Most. No, yeah. No, no, no. You can uh, be a well, symptomatic. You can, for, I was going to say most famous case was typhoid Mary. Uh, Salmonella type yeah. A. Mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. All right. Um, on to our, the last one that I have a photo of. You can only say so much. If people want to stay sleeping, that's on them to stay blind. It's true. COVID has been around for decades. Look behind the Lysol can. It's another name for a cold or virus when you go to the doctors and they can't tell you what you have. They'll say you have a virus or a URI, upper respiratory infection. No meds. I know this for a fact. It happened to me many times. And if I went in now with this hype going on, they'll probably test me and say that I have COVID. I would like to start by saying they are absolutely 100% correct that the Lysol does say coronavirus. It does. They got that right. 100% on the mark. The difference is we're talking about a different coronavirus. Coronavirus. No, this is not the 19th coronavirus. This is, it was a year. COVID-19 is a year. Good to Thank you. 
chances are at some point in your life, you've had what we're going to call the common cold in quotations. The common cold is more than likely one of two types of viruses, a rhinovirus or a coronavirus. But that is different from the novel coronavirus of 2019 that Sophia mentioned. And so that's where, again, this particular person had a piece of information correct and then just went running with it. I mean, props on them for looking on their Lysol containers and looking at looking to see what it, what things are, what, like, you know, what Lysol can disinfect. Props on them because, you know, not everything can disinfect everything. So kudos to that. I highly encourage reading manufacturer labels. Yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they took that and bolted, like, just come back a little bit just so we can have a conversation. That'd be great. But. Yeah, when I was uh, looking at um, coronaviruses, I believe there were four or five coronaviruses that are responsible for the common cold um, that we encounter all the time. And there are three coronaviruses that are virulent to um, to humans, which is being SARS being the first one, then MERS that came out after that, so Middle Eastern uh, uh, virus, and then now COVID-19. So uh, it's a group of viruses not just COVID-19, so. I think that. Yeah, I think that's the important thing of understanding what the difference between those, if the question becomes, well, if they're all coronaviruses, why is this one so special? What makes this particular coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, so interesting is the certain gain of function properties that it had as far as its spike protein and ability to connect to the ACE2 receptor in lung tissue. And this is what has, one, made the research around coronavirus so controversial for some time, is this sort of gain of function research is ethically odd because it could be used in one sense. And what's been proposed by groups like the NIH is that it could help us prepare and prevent future pandemics or any sort of bioterrorism attacks and this such. The issue with that being that same technology could be used as bioterrorism, which comes to another part of these coronavirus conspiracies, thinking that this was created in a laboratory specifically from China to do do dirty damage against the world, specifically the US. So again, Bits of pieces of this have its truth, but it's the sort of that slippery slope of where it goes and the why and the how and these sort of manufactured conspiracies ideas of what this grand scheme of things are. So that's what makes this particular coronavirus unique compared to the other ones that we would commonly think of as the common cold. So it is important to note that. But the difference is now we're in that learning phrase of we may know a lot about coronaviruses, but this one is so dramatically novel that we're in an entirely new learning phase. And Justin, to your point, I think you mentioned at the beginning of this, um, the world is watching or experiencing the scientific method, even though they're not scientists necessarily. They haven't watched, you know, so much question for testing has come up of these kits, the QC items failing, you know, what's happening with these false positives, you know, especially at the beginning, there were a lot of issues with the kits. And so they're experiencing real time something that scientists experience on a daily basis because we learn it. And I think uh, to them, because they don't have that knowledge or background, this seems a little fishy. Like, why is everything so wrong? Why aren't they getting their testing protocols in, in, in order? This is true. And similarly, I want to take a step back. I had mentioned that the NIH was involved with things like gain of function research. And to that point, you know, that actually was brought in and introduced in 2014. Uh, There was, I'm sorry, they paused any sort of gain of function research in 2014, mostly because of the controversy around it. It was in 2017 that they actually lifted that ban and allowed, allowed NIH and other government organizations to look into doing this kind of research. Now, this is one of those things where I think somebody would look and say, ha ha, the government is against us and this is why. I want to 
But for those of us that float in these realms, we may be aware of something like HHS PC3CO from the Health and Human Services, which is a document that explicitly lists out the things that we need to do to audit and ensure quality, accuracy, and positive intention when groups are doing these sorts of things. So there is accountability to it. And then, you know, but what that's all fine and wonderful. But to Galena, your point, there's still bumps and hiccups along the way. And unfortunately, everyone's seeing that in real time. And while we may be aware of it, this seems as a broken process, a, a disrupted or corrupted system to others who may not have the same sort of background. I mean, if you think about it, everyone's more used to seeing just the end result. They're like, okay, it's been tested, mm-hmm. it's been tested. No one ever sees the whole testing phase of saying, okay, well, this didn't work. We're going to try something else, right? Um, that's why, I mean, that's why yellow belt classes exist to sort of teach a scientific method in a more applicable setting in your workplace of how can you make your workplace better? Try to identify some factors, change up one factor at a time to see if you can make it better because you're people who aren't necessarily familiar with it and they're just used to being told, this is what we've discovered and this is everything we've tested, but here are the final results and people just look at the final results. It's like reading an abstract. You just look at the final over overview, but they don't see you know, all the stuff that goes into it, all the years of work, maybe the years of just even the failure experiments, things that don't actually produce anything. They don't, they're not used to seeing that and being introduced to it in the first time. And unfortunately in the pandemic, everyone's like, well, why don't you have the answers? Why don't you know? Well, it's the process and they're learning it with every, with people who aren't so familiar, you know? My concern with this is that it's going to undermine what's already degrading of a certain faith in scientific institutions um, with a, with that sort of expectation and looking to scientific groups of the determinism of, is it yes or is it no? And not knowing, you know, not knowing the background process that goes. When I was a musician, whenever we're in the studio, we like to say that nobody likes to see the sausage made. They just want to eat it, meaning that nobody wants to hear your studio sessions. They just want the finished album. So similarly, in a scientific realm, I'm not really interested in all the studies that you've done to show at what point it's most sensitive and specific. I just want you to tell me if it's a yes or a no. And again, we're here in this sort of frame of, I don't know, we're figuring it out. And that's very unnerving for a lot of people, especially for those that are in seats of government that need to make decisions for a population. And to tie all back, why I chose um, all of these posts in particular, because, you know, it, it gets worse than this, right? We talked about briefly mentioned 5G and Bill Gates. I mean, there's, there's so many conspiracy theories. I wanted to focus on testing, but even from this, to me, I don't know that people, uh, the general population recognizes what happens to your swab once it leaves your nose. You know, I almost read this as all of these tests are being centralized to this one location and there's this overlord that's telling you you have to, um, uh, you know, do this many cycles, this is the threshold, etc. Not recognizing that it's not even just one instrument anymore. I mean, there's so many instruments that are coming out and companies, biotech companies, they're coming out with their own tests and procedures, right? So there's, um, that's already a difference, Um, And that it's so much more decentralized than that, that um, every healthcare system, you know, some items get sent to, you know, the Department of Health, some go to a reference lab, some stay in the hospital, um, you know, depending on uh, the patient and the procedure. So it's really hard um, to see how there could be some big government or, I don't know, deep state that's telling me as a tech you know, who gets paid not that much enough to do that kind of deep state, I don't know, work, you know, to be messing with these tests and providing false data. And this this goes back to my personal soapbox of the second you have someone cornered or like in an Uber and they ask, what do you do? Explain to them what the heck a laboratory tech, um, sorry, clinical laboratory scientist is and why we exist because when people like, you know, they get their blood drawn, they don't know what happens to it. It goes Mm -hmm. into a mystery. Not all nursing knows what happens to it. Doctors also don't know what happened to it. Like some do, not everyone does. And they're just like Mm -hmm. some sort of magic, you know, 
voodoo, whatever on your blood. It's like, oh, yes, I can just like, you know, magically wave my hand over your test tube and instantly know your like light results and know whether you're positive or negative. They don't they don't understand everything that goes behind it. So it's it's that disconnect, that lack of knowledge in terms of where what happens to your samples after you leave? What happens to your blood after you leave? Um, I have heard a conspiracy where people don't like their blood drawn at the doctors because they're convinced that they're going to get sent off to the government and they're going to be like <laughs> DNA something encoded. I'm not sure. I, but it's, it's with that education that we need to make sure that people understand what we do, especially now in a time like this where laboratory techs are in you know the spotlight nonstop not much by choice, but, you know, we have this opportunity to speak up and say, this is what's actually going on. And this is what's happening to your test. Um, I think a conversation that um, I've had to have a lot recently is, I don't know if you've guys seen news articles uh, about patients that receive positive test results in the mail when they have not been tested at all. And so to them, that's another huge sign of the government is like just trying to elevate positive test results. And so then that gets into uh, the conversation of pre-analytical errors. And what happens when you're trying to mass test a drive-through of people, right? So I'm sitting here, 30 people in line, they put me in this line. And like, I'm the seventh person in, they have my name, they have everything, and I'm sick of tired of waiting in line. I got to go pick up my kid for my whatever. And so then I pull out a line. And now this poor tech is um, uh, potentially putting a wrong label, or now you've changed the, the queue, if you will, of people. And now you're testing someone else, but potentially using the name of the patient that is no longer in line because they left. So now you have a whole line of people that are one name ahead and it just didn't get caught because you've got this many people going through it, just trying to get the testing done. We don't have the time to double and the double checking that pre-analytical error comes into it. I really appreciate that you're bringing this up. And to Sophia's point too, that we as laboratorians have, have an ability, but I would even argue a certain responsibility about becoming more visible and making the process more hu- more visible to humanizing the laboratory and these sorts of things to drawing up you know that is you know what they what the concern about people being tested positive and never actually having received that test is totally possible it's one of many possibilities and i can think of two particular ways in which that that scenario might happen which we have discussed a very real one that happens more often than we'd like to admit um, is a po- that patient ID gets mixed up. And, it, and I, yeah, and I've heard with that, actually, I've heard that um, at least where I'm from, North Carolina, we've been warned about getting those letters. It took me a second to remember, but we've been warned about getting those letters because um, some people are sending it out as a form of identity theft to try to, because they're like, you know, you have a positive result, call this number, and then you call. And then, of course, with, as we know, as medical technologists, we're, they're going to ask, hey, what's your name, your birth date? And then if you don't have a medrec number, your social security number. Mm. And that's how I, that's how um, some, some identity theft has happened in the area. And they've already like tried to backtrack and tell everyone, if you're getting something po- that says you're, you have a positive test, if you get a phone call about it, don't pick up, um, don't call back. It's crazy. Granted, I also have for some reason, like five spam mail, uh, phone calls a day. I don't know what's going on, but, um, they got COVID. Yeah. Deep state is calling <laughs> with your positive COVID result. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's another, that's actually just a general security concern that they're having because it's like the whole, and seven Nigerian prints is it's, you have a positive COVID result. Got yeah. it. Hmm. You know, I can think of other instances where like someone's been charged recently, uh, you know, upwards of $2,000. Recently, there was an instance with uh, an Austin-based laboratory, Gibson Diagnostics Labs in Irvington, Texas, or Irving, Texas. They were billing patients $2,315 for a positive COVID result. This was not the fault of the laboratory. It was the fault of a third-party billing service. So very easily for someone who 
all of this kind of lab stuff outside of the initial sample procurement, everything is a black box. It's very easy to go, well, they were overcharging me. They're doing this to just make money. When for those of us in the industry that know that there's sometimes third-party billings and codes for what we bill for might look very, very similar. And if you're not fully trained or there's changes in procedures, you know, all said and done, this particular instance was rectified and those patients that were overcharged have been reimbursed. But I think it's one of those instances where we can look and say what the immediate association seems reasonable on the surface. But when we pull the veil back on what the inner happenings are and the small nuances, we as laboratories can kind of speak to these sorts of things of, oh, this is probably what really happened. Definitely, definitely. Like, just the amount, like, even even beyond COVID, you know, just the amount of speculation going on that people have of, you know, um, a nurse, one of my allergy nurses was asking me, she's like, so I had a falsely elevated result, but then it was normal next time. Do you know how I can get that charge off my billing or like this? I'm like, I, I appreciate you coming to me and understanding you can ask me questions about your AST levels, but that's something you need to talk to your doctor about and your doctor needs to help you out because that's, there's so many different levels and there's so much going on behind the scenes. Like today I showed someone how to flip charge billing. So someone's not charged for a BMP and a CMP, but then if someone to mess up on our end or someone on like, if we didn't catch that, the patient's charged twice, which is why there's supposed to be those multiple layers of different people looking at things, different computers look at things to understand how different things work. But the second you change a little bit of code in, in an LIS, LIS system and a procedure or something, something's going to slip through the cracks. And, yeah. you know, we end up where we are now with more distrust, essentially. And there has to be an acknowledgement that to err is human. And even us lab techs, we do our best. But if we are, you know, understaffed, don't feel like we have proper PPE to do testing, all of a sudden our call to collect nasopharyngeal swabs when it hasn't been something um, that we've been asked to do before. So like learning a procedure, I think it's just a really high stress time. And I think to kind of summarize everything we talked about, right, we looked at lab testing there was a Facebook post um, on a medical lab sciences group um, that was saying, you know, where the people are saying there's a virus spreading, we need lab testing. So then we respond, we increase lab testing, and all of a sudden we feel valued. And, um, you know, even I want to say like one of the press briefings in the White House, we got thanked. So, you know, really exciting. And then today, you see all these COVID numbers that are rising and all of a sudden the people are like, there's a number, these numbers are inflated, stop spreading fear, all of that. So it's like, it almost feels like um, we've now swung, you know, the opposite end. We were the good guys, we were the heroes, and now somehow um, we're the bad guys. So, you know, pick a side. (laughs) Yeah. And it's one of those that, you know, just sums it up with, unfortunately, lack of education in terms of how can we educate the general public about medicine and laboratory and science and what's going on now. Um, I, did, I think I saw a Facebook post about this video from the 80s that Fauci made about HIV. And um, like it was a it was like a general education on the vi- on HIV, on how it spreads um, and how they're testing for it. And it was great. And I mean, you know, without getting too political, that's something that should have been done. And unfortunately, because it was just so rapid and with one downside of social media and the spread of, and like, you know, how global our internet is, stuff spreads so fast. And it's Mm -hmm. almost like the second you have time to create a response to it, to try to create an educated response to it, to try to create like an educational something for something else, it's already spread 15 times. It's already changed 50 times. And you don't know what the next thing is you're going to have to respond to because it's probably something you don't expect like 5g you know my partner and i were discussing this earlier today um just the speed and the availability to disseminate information is wonderful in an aspect that at 4 30 in the morning i was woken up to an earthquake at 4 35 my mother called me three hour on the other side of the country to ask me if I'm okay. That's amazing that somebody knew about it that fast from when it happened. And I was able to connect with them. That 
is an amazing bit about information. And it's a wonderful tool that we can use as far as spreading things like health literacy or media literacy to improving the average person's understanding of a situation. It's also the wild, the internet is still very much the wild west. In researching things about COVID conspiracies, I had gone to websites and dot dot something domains that I have never heard of. That's why I was trying as best I could to keep these conspiracies down to testing because, I mean, even closer to uh, close to testing, um, apparently, you know, the explanation for why we as lab techs are falsifying results as positive um, has to do with, like Justin, I think you mentioned earlier, compensation to hospitals and how um, it is more lucrative for a hospital to say that a patient died of COVID than any other uh, other symptom and, or a disease process. And in fact, the direct quote from this person was, since January, I haven't heard of one story on the news saying that a patient died from COVID at home. The people who have died do it in the hospital. Let's not even start on the compensation hospitals, hospitals receive per patients who um, pass away from COVID. So uh, first of all, um, uh, already, I don't know the, the accuracy of people not dying from COVID at home, um, saying that everyone's just died in the hospital. But, but I mean, there's a huge conception that, that right now we're sitting around and creating positive results so that we can get reimbursements. Great. I'm not sure what it would what difference it would make if they died in a home versus long term care facility versus an ICU. Um, a tally to the death count is a tally to the death count, yeah. uh, and for what it's worth, we have changed our model on how we report out those kinds of things for a cause of death. If the presumed cause of death is potentially COVID nineteen, but they also had a co infection with mycoplasma pneumoniae, they're going to report both. And instead of billing, well, the nurse did these sorts of things for this many hours, the doctor did these things, the respiratory tech did these things, and line iteming everything to a private payer for reimbursement, we now do more of a pay-per-performance model rather than fee-for-service. Mm -hmm. So yes, they are going to include COVID-19 on the death certificate as potential cause of death if that was something that the patient was also treated for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and this is why we have podcasts like this, where we try to, I don't know, educate the world a little bit and hopefully um, at least raise awareness of us as med techs and that we're not worthy enough of the deep state to, um, I don't know, tell us how to run our PCR test. <laughs> if that be the case, I want to raise. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If the lizard people of the deep state are able to contact us, do you if guys I can get cookies? three, point, if I could get three and a half percent this year, that'd be cool. Yeah, <laughs> sign me up to the lizard people. Just gonna say, mm. please put this on my performance evaluation. <laughs> I, I'm really thankful. This has been wonderful. It's great to catch up with you both. I'm so thankful for everything you're doing with Off the Bench and picking this up, doing the recalibration. Thank you for having me join you for this. It's been a, it's been an interesting exercise. Mm -hmm. And thank you for uh, agreeing to hop on to the off the bench team. Super excited. And unfortunately, Cliff did have to leave early for another meeting because we are busy people Duty and call. ASCLS likes to busy people. Busy modifying results. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, yes. All orders from the deep state lizard people. <laughs> Mm. Yes. He's busy taking them right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what professors do after all. Yep. <laughs> right on. Thanks so much for um, uh, uh, reading these out with me. So I was not the only one that had to, uh, um, I don't know, cringe um, at moments um, about the lack of information about laboratory testing. I feel supported. <laughs> and thank you for bringing these up. And if any of our listeners have any comments suggestions other things they want us to look at memes screenshots if you do send a screenshot be sure to blur out the person's name and a picture that'd be great um all this information all the pictures that we looked at will be available online um thank you for joining us and yeah comment in on our facebook page and so we can just you know have a conversation and if this ever makes it to youtube comment in the comment section below because we're going to try that i don't know if it will make it to youtube but we'll try <laughs>
Sophia, I also know you're on Twitter. Yes, not very active. I'm trying. <laughs> but you have wonderful graphics. I love your comics. Thank you. Yes, uh, I draw comics. Uh, if you guys see Warbler Works, most recently known for the uh, uh, campfire in the middle of uh, chemistry in the lab talking about nightmares. I love that. <laughs> or if you've seen a meme or a comic with a uh, calling service because you ran QC and now it's on fire with uh, Moss from the IT crowd, that's me. Um, yeah. Is mm. Warbler underscore works. Uh, Justin, I think you're also on Twitter, correct? I'm on Twitter as Flying Lab Rat. Galena, are you on Twitter? No, I've tried. I've tried. You know, I might need you guys to teach me how to do that. I mean, Just, Justin there. can teach it. Teach us. I learned from Dr. Cameron Mirza when I was at ASCLS National Meeting, and that got me started. It's been a wonderful adventure. It really changed my professional socialization. Great. So, well, so we just need to get Dr. Mirza on here to talk us through Twitter. I yeah. Think that's something he'd definitely be open to that, I think. that That is a, a whole new podcast episode of The Universe Teaches Galena How to Social Media, which I don't do well. <laughs> I, I don't do well. I don't. So... Um, yeah, maybe for the future. <laughs> That'd be great. All right, so we're going to officially end the podcast now, and thanks for tuning in. Uh, hopefully, we'll hear you guys, or you know, you'll listen to us next time. See you guys in a month. Bye. 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 Bye.